Welcome back, kids and heroes. On today's episode, I made a crazy risk, a gamble, and it's about to pay off. You're listening to the Film Effect Podcast. I'm host Ed Snyder, and this is the intro. Alright guys, welcome to the Film Effect Podcast, where we're taking all things film to the full effect. It's another episode, another day. Happy to be here with you guys today. Hope everyone's doing well. Um, yeah, before we get into anything crazy, just want to remind you guys, you can check out previous episodes of the show on Apple, Spotify, Google, iHeartRadio, Podbeam, and wherever else you enjoy your favorite shows. You can check me out on Facebook.com at the Film Effect Podcast, Instagram.com at the Film Effect Podcast, or if you guys want to guest host or have any requests, comments, or questions, you can always email me at the Film Effect Podcast at gmail.com. All right, let's talk current events real quick. I mean, not a whole lot this week. Uh, the main thing is the whole Gina Carano situation. How she was let go from the Disney Plus Star Wars show. Um, my two cents are it, it's it's short and sweet, good riddance. You know what I mean? Like I, I really don't have any anything much else to elaborate on that no one's already said. Um, there's nothing that I can really add to what everyone else has been saying. She's trash in my opinion. Um, I, I've been aware of her tweets and opinions uh, for the last handful of years now, and I'm surprised it's taken this long for things to bite her in the ass. Um, I understand that there's a reason they didn't announce her planned, quote-unquote, uh, solo spinoff show, whatever you want to call it, at the, uh, the big Disney announcements that were happening back in December. This was left off the shelf, even though they announced nine other shows that you guys are aware of. That That's just a whole other take for a whole other episode. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, uh, good riddance. Uh, don't let the door hit you on the ass on the way out. And not that she's been getting a whole ton of work outside of this show. Uh, I haven't really seen her in too many films as of late. I've seen the roles have been going down. This doesn't do her any favors. And I can only imagine things going down further and further for her. And so be it. You play stupid games, you win stupid prizes. That's my general opinion. And so that's it. It's been a slow week full of snowstorms and impeachment trials. And so, yeah, that's really all I have to comment on this week as far as current events go. Which brings us to... The Weekly Recommends. What would you get for a six-year-old boy who chronically wets his bed? It's like this. The other day, I picked up Freaky. Missed out on it when I was in theaters and VOD. And so I blind bought it. And I'm not going to lie, I'm kind of happy I did. I wasn't mad at the film. I actually was... I had fun with it. Basically, it's 
a horror take on Freaky Friday, the same way Happy Death Day was a horror take on Groundhog Day. So I can only imagine this trend continuing more and more, especially since this movie I was reading up on a little bit after I watched it, and it made like three or four times the budget, which is definitely enough money to make a profit even after you account for advertising and whatnot. Um, yeah, it's not a bad film. I mean, it has some cringe moments, but you're going to get that in a film like that that involves 50-year-old Vince Vaughn acting like an 18-year-old socialite, you know, in high school. It's it's goofy. It It is what it is, you know what I mean? But I will say this. It had some pretty good death scenes, and thank God they actually used practical effects. They didn't go the whole CG route. I uh, didn't notice a whole lot of CG, speaking of that. Uh, for the most part, these death scenes that were pretty clever, uh, for the most part, uh, were, I was happy to see. I was like a kid in a candy shop to see these fucking deaths done the right way, the way they should be done, the way horror is meant to be seen, and that is the practical direction and not that CG phony computerized bullshit. It had quite the colorful cast of characters. Uh, Vince Vaughn was pretty funny, although I still wish that he did more uh, old school um, wedding singer, I mean, wedding crashers type roles. But there comes a certain point where I'm just going to have to realize that was a whole other era of Vince Vaughn that it's kind of like you lock that up in a bottle and you put it away because it's never going to happen again. And that's kind of how it was with the phenomenon with him in the, as, as far as comedic roles were back then. Because in, the in the mid-aughts, Vince Vaughn was hilarious. And then after the breakup, things kind of went south and never really picked up after that. Uh, he's done good movies. They just haven't been the funny films like the ones I had mentioned. And that's not a knock on this film at all. Uh, it was funny. It was clever. Good death scenes, great effects. Um, wasn't perfect, nowhere near perfect. Uh, real quick, top of my head, three and a half out of five. Seems fair, more towards a three than a four. And so that's my take on Freaky, which brings us to the movie of the episode. And of course, if you've clicked on the podcast link by now, you know what I'm talking about. So let's get down to it. 2019's Uncut Gems. How you doing, Holly? How's it going? How's it going? Good Pesach, Holly. All right, Larry. You're a Jew again. Welcome back. I made a crazy risk to gamble. It's about to pay off. So I want the Celtics to cover. I want the Celtics halftime. I want Garnett points and rebounds. What do you know? I don't know. I just know. Well, I'll tell you what I know. That's the dumbest fucking bet I ever heard of. I disagree. I disagree, Gary. What is that? I started it. You're taking my money all over town, placing bets. I'm having very serious second thoughts. Are you serious right now? I know I fucked up. Howard, where's the money right now? Howard, got my money? Howard! 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 Howard!
it too late? I'm done. It means nothing. It meant nothing. Please. Give me another shot. You like to win, right? This is no different than that. Black Joe Power, nigga. This is my fucking way. You think I'm stupid, Howard? You and your whole fucking family! I heard you resurface your fucking swimming pool. I, you know how that makes me feel? Never you think your life is more important than my I don't life. know who said that! I told you about how things were gonna go. You like the way things are going now? That's my family! Get the kids out of the house! You having a good time? Yes. This is me. This is how I win. KJ, it's game night. You should be stretching out. What is he, a coach? Nah, he's just a fucking crazy ass Jew. All right, so touch upon the legacy real quick. While it's still way too early to say what kind of legacy Uncut Gems is going to carry, I'm pretty confident that it'll be a highly discussed film for years to come. I feel Sandler's performance is enough to keep the chatter going as long as the guy's still relevant. And the writing and directing is on a level of remembrance. Their first film, the Sathy Brothers' first film, Good Time, is coming up on five years old, and I feel that film is still talked about a good amount today, especially for Robert Pattinson's acting. Guys, Daniel Day-Lewis even called Adam Sandler personally the week this film was released and left him heavy praise for his performance. It was that good that the best of the best went out of his way to say something. I mean, if that doesn't say something, then what else does? I love the fact that the Sathys took a pay cut to film this on 35mm film because that is the way they originally wanted it. And you can tell there's definitely grain that I picked up on watching it this go around. And hey, I'm a cinephile, so I love the grain. That's just me personally to each their own. And yeah. So let's talk about my first time viewing. Uh, it's, it's just that. You see, this is actually uh, my, my first time. No, no, my first, it's my first time uh, since my first time. So technically that's my second time and i don't i don't i don't want to suck at it so i saw this in the theaters about a week after it was released nationally see it sucks because it came out in middle in the middle of december and of 2019 of course and i was not able to see it because i live in baltimore and I believe for those first two weeks, it was only playing in New York and L.A. And as much as I wanted to see this movie, I wasn't about to drive two and a half to three hours to see it. Um, I can wait. I'm a patient man. I can wait the two weeks out. And so I did. So it was released nationwide Christmas Day. And then New Year's Eve is when I went out and finally saw this. I went New Year's Eve morning. I went to my local theater and saw it by myself. Uh, the way I see the majority of my films in the theater, or did at least before COVID came around. Um, and I, I loved it. I, I, I know I use that term a lot on this show, but, you know, I, I love talking about, there I go using that word again, but I generally talk about the movies that I love, and this is no different. Um, but yeah, dude, there was just something about this movie that I, I, I remember watching this like it was yesterday because I spent the majority of this movie no bullshit at the edge of my seat now i know that's an expression thrown around loosely with people when they talk about movies that are like this you know suspenseful and all 
But no, I was literally at the edge of my seat for a good part of this movie. And the reason is, is if you've seen it, you know, this is the definition of a roller coaster ride when it comes to movies. Um, because it has its fair shares of ups, downs, lefts, rights, corkscrews, and major loops. Uh, before the very end, when things suddenly break. Um, just uh, so goddamn good. Um, which brings me to a story. Story time. Tell me a story. Wait. Like my story? No, not your story. A story. Since you can't keep your mouth shut long enough for me to read my paper, tell me a story. I don't think I know any stories. You don't know any stories? No. All right, I'll tell you a story. This is a newspaper, right? It's 90% bullshit. But it's entertaining. That's why I read it, because it entertains me. You won't let me read it. So you entertain me with your bullshit. Tell me a story right now. Go. So the hype about this movie is basically my story for this film. Everything from the interviews to the podcast appearances from the Safdies and Sandler to the incredible trailer drop that no one saw coming a few months prior to this release. Um, it, it made me, in those months ahead, revisit older Sandler films like um, like Happy Gilmore and Billy Madison for the first time in well over 10 years. I hadn't seen Happy Gilmore since probably mid-thousands, 2005-ish. Uh, so yeah, um, and, and just the abundance of good reviews and overall hype surrounding this movie was insane. Uh, it didn't premiere at um, this event, but in particular, the TIFF, which is the Toronto International Film Festival that's held in September every year. This was the, the big film coming out of that festival in 2019, and I remember all the hype, all the interviews, all of the praise, all the rave, just everything had to do with this, everything that had to do with this movie was was just praised and for good reason and i didn't see i hadn't seen a movie with this much hype and i can't tell you the last movie it was but it 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 was on its own level of hype and i'll never forget it <clears throat> excuse me and i'll never forget and i'll never forget it because it was just madness every major movie website social media you name it this movie was talked about. It was discussed on podcasts. Hell, the Ranger had their own Uncut Gems Week, the week leading into this release. He had like Bill Simmons had Sandler and the Safdies and KG himself, Kevin Garnett, on the show, talking about it, hyping it up, and yeah, it. And then, like I said, that trailer drop back in like October, about a, two and a half months before it finally came out, dude. Out of nowhere, they dropped the trailer on us on this movie. And they only had one trailer because that's all you needed for it. And it was just, I, I still remember it, you know, seeing it for the first time. That weekend song and everything just, it, it, it got me hooked. It got me hyped. I could not wait. You know, like it, it, it took my interest and it just grabbed it with a crushing grip. Let me tell you. So, it, as you can imagine, it was pretty anxious two and a half months leading up to finally seeing it and seeing what the hype was about and i did and boy let me tell you something 
I left a happy man that day. I know people had their thoughts, especially after that ending. But as for me, holy hell. I mean, we're going to talk about it. We're going to talk about it a lot. But that first time was everything. It was a great moment. Um, and I remember a lot when it comes to my movies, my first time experiences and stuff. So this is definitely going to be one of them that I'm always going to remember. I mean, I remember shit like... I remember seeing I Know You Did Last Summer for the first time and how what that was like and shit. I have a weird memory. It don't don't ask, don't at me, don't email me that. Just I get it. It's random, it's weird, it's odd, it's unique. That's how I roll. So should we talk about the film? Let's dive into the film, shall we? Here we go. Alright, so the movie kicks off at the Wellow Mine of Ethiopia in the fall of twenty ten. We see a crowd of people who are carrying a dude with a broken leg that looks insanely realistic. They're carrying him uh, to safety, I guess. He got hurt in the mine. We don't really see what happened or hear about what happened. This is just how the film kicks off. It is just um, it's ambiguous as the film allows it to be. It's, it's, it's a big mystery to us. So these two guys that we focus on... They don't care. They see this as a distraction for their own financial stability. So they go into the mines on their own and they chisel out a black opal, which is going to be our film's MacGuffin. Uh, overall, this is a very vague opening and I like that. Um, and then what we see is the camera focusing in on the black opal and it zooms in and goes inside of it to see like all the like a crystal passageway sort of that suddenly turns into uh the inside footage of some organs uh from howard ratner who was our main character played by adam sandler now that was our opening credit sequence i should have mentioned with, with the um it kind of it's kind of like a Fight Club esque opening sequence, but it's a lot more slower, and uh, the synth score is really um, soothing. I love the stunning visuals, and it's it's a calm synth driven score as the visuals cleverly change over to Howard's colonoscopy, because that is what we're seeing, and then it shows us that we are now in New York City in the spring of 2012. Uh, while the colonoscopy is being performed, we see that the doctor finds something inside and he takes a biopsy just to be sure. And then the film cuts to Howard. Um, he's back at it, heading in the streets of New York, back to his shop. He's on the fly, both literally and figuratively. Um, I, I love how he's immediately handling business over the phone as soon as he's out of the operation. Is that even an operation, colonoscopies? I don't know. I know it's an outpatient sort of thing. I don't know what it's called, though. Um, haven't had one yet, um, so I'm sure I'm getting there. Um, and when he's on the phone, he's talking to his employee, and just the way his employee talks to him when he says friends of Arno are there waiting for him, dude, he'd be fired in a second. Before I even got back to the shop, his ass would be gone. Um, so that's what happened. Howard gets back to um, the shop, and his shop is called KMH. It's in the middle of New York's Diamond District. Uh, we're introduced to these two guys who are waiting for Howard. They are Phil and Nico. They are kind of the heavies for this guy Arno, who we're gonna find out is uh, the person who Arnold, who Howard owes all this money to. 
Um, so he goes in. Uh, Damani, played by Lakeith Stanfield's there. He's kind of a guy who brings in up-and-comers or, or big-time people who are looking to spend money. They bring him to Howard's shop. In return, he got Howard some watches of his that he's pushing. And, uh, yeah, so this is guy cash-out that he's called that he's there. He's there to cash out, he says. Uh, so Howard immediately goes over to Phil and Nico um, to introduce himself and to, you know, ex- ex- explain see what kind of fun-filled story he's going to come up with next because that's the kind of bullshit Howard Ratner is. Uh, he offers them water, which they don't want, but he goes and gets it anyway. It's like his obsession with his own spring water that he's so proud of it ends up getting him slapped in the face in front of everyone there. Um, I'm surprised Damani doesn't do more to intervene when he sees this all going down, especially when he's making some of his money from Howard, you know what I mean? But no, um, he takes the slap and then he goes to the back and he's followed to the back by these two. Um, and they kind of like, they literally push him up against the wall, like not like in a forcing manner. They kind of like walk up on him and back him into a corner, except in this case, it's the wall. <laughs> and it, they're just pushing him around and, and he's saying he ain't got the money and they end up looking, seeing he's got some cash in an envelope that he got from a pawn, from a pawn shop. That's what I forgot to mention. Like he goes to a pawn shop before he comes here, another one, and um, gets makes his money. I forgot how. And he's got an envelope full of cash, and they end up taking that as well as his quote unquote twenty thousand dollar Rolex, supposedly. Um, and then we see him outside walking uh, to his side apartment where he's going to meet his uh, little side piece, Julia. He's on the phone with Arno, uh, leaving, a ma- leaving a voicemail for Arno uh, and just telling him about the $20,000 watch that he can take off the tab. And it says it's fucked up that he sent guys to his office, which I don't know the severity of the situation because this is kind of how we're dropped into the movie. But... It's it's pretty serious, and if I were in Arno's shoes, I think I'd be sending my guys there, too. I mean, push comes to shove, you know what I mean? So he goes to his apartment to, uh, to see Julia, played here by Julia Fox. Um, one of the things I noticed off of her right off the bat, cause she's, she goes, she, because he goes into the back bedroom, and she's in the bed with her friend, who's a female, a female friend. They're just hanging around gossiping, one's on her phone. And she says that Howard's being extra. <laughs> I've never heard that term before. Even back in 2012, I never heard the term extra. I, I don't know. Maybe so extra was a thing that happened so fast. It was on past me, but who knows. Uh, but down here in Baltimore, that wasn't a thing. So they get into it back and forth because he didn't call her. And she, and, and she gives him crap you know, for having kids. It's like, how is Julia going to ridicule Howard for having kids? That's always bugged me. It's like, you're coming into this knowing damn well he's got, it's not like they came out of nowhere. All three of his children, well, maybe the youngest is kind of young, but his two other ones, his two eldest are, in they're in their, their late teens. They're pretty old. You know what I'm saying? Uh, well, maybe not one. The daughter's definitely the oldest, but the, you know, they're not young. They're not young bloods. So he goes and they end up re- reconciling. He gets in bed with her and they cuddle. 
Julia shows in photos of the weekend, so immediately he goes and pawns this medallion that he's got that it's for it's from from Michael Jackson, but he plays it off like it's like it belongs to the weekend, and he ends up getting uh, twenty three thousand five hundred dollars for this piece, and he immediately takes it to Mike Francesca here, who plays his bookie Gary. And he goes and puts it on the Lakers game and Kobe more specifically. I love seeing Mike Francesca in this, especially when he cusses because that's something he never ever does. And if you've seen the infamous trailer I was talking about before, then he drops an F-bomb in the trailer. So kind of coming to this knowing that that's going to happen. Anyway, uh, so Howard gets a phone call that Kevin Garnett's at his shop. So he boogies back there. When he gets back to the shop, a couple of KG's bodyguards are in the hallway slapping around Phil and Nico, who I guess they're back for more. It's one thing I noticed, that they're back already. Um, they tell Howard that he's a dead man after they're leaving, kind of foreshadowing with the uh, shoveling dirt over his head comment, don't you think? Howard goes inside, and we find that they attack his employee in front of everybody, this is the same employee who was on the phone with Howard earlier giving him shit. So he gets inside, like I said, and he starts showing KG and his guys a bunch of stuff, including the famous gold Furby necklace that we saw in the trailer. Offers to clean his earrings free of charge on top of everything, so he goes and sends him to the back and has that done. Damani tries to get Howard to show KG his watches, but Howard plays dumb and says he doesn't know anything about what he's talking about which infuriates Damani. So, one thing to note, Howard keeps telling Garnett to stop leaning on his glass. It happens about three or four times, and then the Black Opal arrives. As Howard's retrieving it, his associate, who was attacked, comes in and complains to Howard about what happened and how he's going to get jealous when he sees him working with someone else, yada, yada, yada. None of this is getting through to Howard, who is more concerned about the damn fish that the Opal's apparently inside of than uh, uh, Homeboy's story. So he finally says something after he gets the Opal out to his associate, but it's not the words he wants to hear. But instead he says, holy shit, I'm going to come. So with that, he's out. He books. He's fucked. That's it. That's the final straw. He's gone. So then we get Howard showing the Opal to KG. KG, you got to come here. All right? I gotta show you. I gotta something. leave soon, I know man. you have I gotta to get leave. Out Listen of here. to me. Okay, so I'm watching TV like uh, a year ago, all right? I'm watching one of those fucking History Channel shows, trying to learn shit. And I and I stumble. You ever hear African Jews? African Jews? Yeah. No, right? No. Nigga, no. want everybody out. to be a Jew. Check this out. I don't know, all right? So these are black Jews, all right? They're stranded in the middle of Ethiopia. It's deep shit. Stranded? Right? Yeah, look at They got nothing. They don't got cars. They don't got shit. And I'm watching this, and I'm like, what the fuck are these guys wearing? Look, it's on the Torah there. It's everywhere, right? Just a fuck. Where do these fucking guys get precious black opals? That's what that is. The black opal? I do my research. These guys live near the whale mines, which primarily is red opals, which aren't worth shit, okay? Oh, okay. But these, these mm. yeah, you can't get your hands on these things, you understand? Really? So look. I say to myself, how do I get a hold of these guys? And I managed to track these guys down. I buy one from them. Holy shit, what, what is that? What is that? That's right here. That's the rock. 
That's the rock. That's the stone. Holy I got it. Look how this is winking. How the get this shit, man? It took me fucking 17 months to get this thing, Holy okay? Shit. Just look at this. Hang on for a second. Go through my look. Be careful. That's my best look. All right? I want you to look. Look at it. You really answered right that motherfucker. Hey, oh, that wow. the shit? Yeah. That's history right there. You understand? How many carrots is this? What? Four, five thousand carrots? Three thousand dollars a carrot? I'm not what? fucking bullshitting you. Why's it got so many colors in it, man? What is this? That's the thing. They say you can see the whole universe in opals. That's how fucking old they are. Holy shit. I've been snow. telling you. That's why I'm wanting you to see it. I gotta have it. Yo, that's crazy, man. Yeah, it's fucking from go. stone to stone. Garnet's a stone. You know that. That's a million dollar opal you're holding. Straight from the Ethiopian Jewish tribe. I mean, this is old school, Middle Earth shit. Got a motherfucking dinosaur gym in this, man. The dinosaurs, that's right. The dinosaurs fucking stared at this thing. It's 110 million years old, at the least. This is deep shit. Can't lean on the glass, KP. So while examining it with Howard's loop, KG sees flashes of himself and other African African ancestors before he breaks the glass. He calls it a sign and tells Howard he needs it. You know, he's just it's something about it that he just you know, he's gotta have it, he says. But Howard can't sell it to him because it's going to auction, which pisses Garnett off. He eventually agrees to let him hold it for the game as long, only if he can get KG's Celtics ring, which he sees as fair, and he gives it to him. And Damani brings it back to him before 8 a.m. the next morning. I'm sorry, 9 a.m. the next morning, which is the because uh, he has to have their praise at the auction. So as soon as they leave, Howard goes down to another shop, and the first thing he does, first thing this motherfucker does, is he pawns KG's ring. For 25 grand and 8%. As this is happening, we see Phil and Nico across the street. They're spying and trailing Howard, checking up on his every move, and reporting it back to Arno over the phone. They eventually watch him go see his bookie Gary again with the money that he owes Arno. He changes his earlier bet and puts all the money now that he has, plus what he's bringing with him, on the Celtics and KG, knowing that KG's rocking the opal. You have your croutons, you have your eggs, Sorry. no carrots in the right, What do you want? How do you make your bet? I know, I know, I gotta change the bet. I got $21,000 here, so you add it on to the 19 grand. That's $40,000 in all. Scrap the whole bet? Scrap the whole bet. I wanna make a six-way parlay. Celtics, Sixers game, what's the line? Still plus one. Plus one, okay, so I want the Celtics to cover. I want the Celtics halftime. I want Garnett points and rebounds. Garnett block shots. Celtics opening tip. Do you take lightning bets? Yeah, but you don't want any part of lightning bets. Fine. Come on. A thousand dollars a point, okay? Take this. And this is a gift for me. What's I this? Just, for, for just what tolerating me for all this time, okay? No, no, no. I already have a Rolex. I don't need your watch. Listen, it probably fell off the truck anyway. Listen, well, what do you know? Gone at this, gone at that. What do you know? I don't know. I just know. Well, I'll tell you what I know. That's the dumbest fucking bet I ever heard of. I disagree. I disagree, Gary. So that night, we see Howard at home watching the game and we're introduced to his family, which is overall one of the most dysfunctional families in film history. I shit you not. His wife comes in and she gives him shit for not saying goodnight to his son because of the basketball game, so he eventually does, but ends up watching the game on the floor on his phone while his son's in bed falling asleep in his sweet Ferrari car bed. Note that his wife, Dina, is played by Dina Menzel, or whatever John Travolta called her back at that award show. 
Uh, after his youngest falls asleep, Howard goes to see his other son, who is watching the game in his room, and tells him about how he's got a lot of money on the game. Before he leaves for the night, we uh, see him asking his wife, Dina, to put the game on for a second, but she ends up fighting with him instead, saying she just wants to bring the kids down now to announce the separation, but Howard doesn't want to do any of that, calls her insensitive because they agreed to wait. She eventually puts it on, and he leaves. And in the car, Howard's watching the game from his phone. It's, let, let's, let's pause here. So this is 2012, and he's watching these games on his iPhone. So 2012, spring 2012. So the latest model came out the previous September of 2011. Um, that's like second, maybe third generation iPhone. Did it even have good enough capabilities to walk around New York City watching a, you know, a, a televised basketball game on his phone? I don't know. I don't think so, but I don't know. I could be wrong. Um, so, yeah, uh, it ends with him finally winning huge. Howard is almost speechless and asks the driver to take him to his girlfriend, Jules, which is actually his side apartment, uh, to her place. He beats her up to the room and hides in the closet as, he, as she gets back and puts on lingerie. He comes out of the closet to surprise her and the two brace romantically to end the night. So the next day, Howard's at the auction center waiting for Damani, who is late, of course. He calls him in. Damani tells him he's in traffic, but he's coming. Then he calls him back and tells him that he's pulling up outside and wants him to come to him. Now, again, I'm going to stop because it's worth mentioning Damani here. He's a really weird character. This has nothing to do with Lakeith Stanfield. If anything, it's praising his performance. But I just feel that the Monty character is one of the oddest, most frustrating characters that I can think of. Because one thing comes out of his mouth, he does the exact opposite. And he'll lie right in front of your fucking face just to get you away from him. Whatever you gotta hear to get you away, to get him away from you, he's the kind of guy that'll do it, you know? And just seeing him jerking Howard around the way he is, and we're only about a half hour into the film at this point. I mean, not that Howard don't deserve it. That's beside the point. That's neither here nor there. I'm just saying Damani, as an individual, he's just an odd cat, you know? And um, that heavy praise to Stanfield because he's just awesome as always. But Damani, though, he's quite the character. So the... So he goes out to Damani's truck on his way there. Howard is approached by this old Jeff Ross looking dude and his twin brother about money that he owes him. Not taking their threat seriously, uh, he gives them a watch and tells them it's worth 50 grand to blow him off, to blow them off. Damani tells him to get inside the truck while he's being harassed by the obviously intimidated duo. So he ends up getting in. Damani tells him KG still has the Opal and that he's at practice in Philly and that he can't call him. So Howard has Damani drive him to Philly. He says it's going to be a two-hour drive. And I'm like, wait, in what world does it take two hours to get from New York City to Philadelphia? Maybe an hour and a half, but man, two hours, that just seems like a long drive. Especially Damani sounds like, seems like the kind of guy who just cruises down the street. You know what I mean? Just flies. So, I don't know. 
at the arena in Philly, Howard tells him that they've got to be in and out because his daughter's play is that night. Uh, at first, he's upset and anxious to see the to get the opal back, but then when they get inside, his demeanor suddenly changes as he does a complete 180. Now he's acting starstruck as the basketball is clearly his favorite sport, and he's backstage at practice. That all changes, though, as Damani walks past security while Howard's doing a layup shot on the court that they were walking across. When he jogs back towards security to get past him and follow Damani, he stopped and not allowed back. They're asking for his name on the list. He's trying to explain to them that his name's not on the list, that he's with him. And they're like, we didn't see you come in, sir. You're with who? Just playing dumb, because that's how security rolls. And uh, Damani knows of this, but continues to walk away anyway. It's now Howard's daughter's play, and he's sitting with his family, still texting Damani. Uh, the family's trying to interact with him, but he's buried in his phone, doesn't even acknowledge the friends who are sitting in front of them. They're trying to have a conversation with him and the rest of the family about their upcoming trip to Europe, but to no avail. Like He's just buried in his phone, like I said. Um, he doesn't even really... He, he he comes up to breathe, and when his wife says, Howard, 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 they're asking about, you know, trying to make conversation or whatnot. He's being, he's, he's being incredibly rude at this moment, but we can understand why. You know what I'm saying? Uh, so his son taps him on his shoulder from the opposite direction. Howard turns around to see who it was, a tap to see who it was, but... He discovers that Phil is there with another henchman sitting several several rows back and immediately turns red. He gets up and asks him if they'll meet him in the hallway, saying this is fucked up, guys. Uh, when Phil obliges, Howard pushes him against the locker and then bites the hand on the other guy before taking off into the school. He ends up running outside, but is eventually caught when he sees Arno and the SUV that ch- that's chasing him. Arno, what is happening? Don't Arno on me. Don't fucking say my name. Give me the keys. Where the fuck did you bit me? Hey, hey, what's happening right now? I told you how things were going to go if you didn't start to behave. What? How was I not behaving? Explain to me. I- I'm sorry. I think I was very explicit on the phone about how things were going to go. You like the way things are going now? Huh? Give me the fucking keys to your car, man. What are you gonna do? Have him steal my Mercedes? Look what the fuck you did! You fucking bit me! Arnold, fucking talk to me. Listen to him, Arnold. Stop saying my fucking name. I have every intention of paying you back. I'm broke right now. You broke? What's that? Look at that. Do you remember that? Look at it. That is money. That's not mine that I sent to you because I wanted to calm you down. We know for a you, fact that you placed a bet with that I money. never placed a bet with that yes, money. Yes, you did. No, no, I no, didn't. no, no, no. Let me ask you something. I heard that Benny and Eddie are going to Timberlake. And you know what else I heard? I heard you resurface your fucking swimming pool. I, you know how that makes me feel? Never resurface anything. I don't know who said that. Give me the keys. Give me the keys to your fucking car. Give me the fucking keys. Fine. All right, listen, I do, I did, I admit it. I, I I, made a bet, and guess what? Here's the thing, I hit, I hit the bet big. You think okay? I'm stupid? You, you think I'm stupid? You think I'm stupid, Howard? You and your whole fucking family. I'll call the book right now, you get on the phone with him, he'll tell you. I saw the bookie. You talking about Gary? You spoke to Gary about what? About, about what? you. About how you're taking my money all over town, placing bets. You know what that does to me? Do you know how offensive that is to me? What? 
You stopped the bet? What do you think, asshole? You stopped the bet? Shut the fuck up! Congratulations, Otto! You fucked up, Shelton! Oh, you motherfucker! You fucked up the fuck oh, this shit! Take his clothes off. Give me a fucking razor! Give me a fucking razor! Give me a fucking What's this? What's this? What's this? This is not fucking shit. This is not fucking shit. This is not fucking shit. Howard, you did this to yourself. Give me a fucking shit. Take the fucking bed. Take the fucking bed. Get the fucking boy in there! I got it, man! Grab the office this next fucking week! Give me my glasses! I need my fucking glasses! Fuck Alright! Pull up up here! Come on, let's go! Let me explain some of you motherfucker! Monday, I want the money! Arnold gets the money! Alright? I'm not fucking around, man! I fucking hear me! Get him out of the car! So as you just heard, we find out in this scene that the bet Howard placed earlier was all somehow negated by Phil. As per Arlo, like, how? How does that get negated? How can you do that? Did Gary fuck up? I think Gary fucked up. Did Gary fuck up? I think Gary fucked up. Because you're not already... I don't don't know the rules. I'm not in... I've never gambled like that before. But it just seems odd that someone can just come in. You don't know who he is. You can just say he's a friend of yours, but he's going to cancel that. Or whatever bullshit story he came up with to get the bet canceled... He got through to Gary. You fucked up, Mike. You fucked up. So they end up stripping Howard naked and throwing him in the trunk of his car. They lock him in there, forcing Howard to call his wife, Dina, and have her come out and open up the trunk, saying that he locked his keys inside. Can she come out and let him out? But uh, it's kind of an awkward moment, you know? Uh, How do you explain that? I just, uh, I don't know, like, how does that conversation go down on the way home? <laughs> so Howard rushes back to his seat wearing new street clothes as, as his daughter finishes her scene. And then we're cut back to the house where Howard's out of the shower and he calls to money again. But this time, aha, uh-huh, he gets through. Howard gives him shit about ignoring him and leaving him to catch a bus back to New York. I love how the audio changes at this moment to a more... I love at this moment uh, how the audio changes as Howard walks into his walk-in closet to get changed because all he's wearing is a towel at this at this scene. The audio it, it changes to a more boxed-in sound as he's walking into the closet. Um, I just I love that audio design. It's clever stuff. It's little things that you know cinephiles like me notice. So they agreed to uh, meet at the weekend's party that night so we can get the opal back as Howard continues to get ready. So before Howard leaves, he has an awkward family exchange in the kitchen with his, with his wife microwaving chicken and his daughter with the biggest attitude in the world on the phone. Everyone hates Howard. He even tries telling his daughter he loves her and she doesn't even care. It's that sad and pathetic. I mean, again... This is what we're dropped into. I don't know the past story, how this all developed, how this all went down. It's never really touched on. Um, Not that the story needed it, but still. um, Like I just said two minutes ago, little things. The next scene, Howard goes to the weekend's party, trying to call Damani in the process. The weekend performs his song of the morning when Howard finally finds Damani, who is partying and doesn't have the opal. The two briefly get into it before stepping to walk away and enjoy the rest of the weekend's performance 
by themselves. I love the small interaction they still have at one point after calming down. Like Howard's watching it from one angle, and Damani's like down at this other part watching it, and they they lock eyes at one point. It's like fuck you. He's like no fuck you. <laughs> it's something. It's it's funny. Um, Howard's focus becomes solely on Julia for the rest of the song before we cut to Julia and the weekend in the bathroom together doing coke. Uh, then he's trying to. He, then he's seen trying to get with her, but she's pushing him away. We see Howard being told about the two from one of Howard's boys, who asks about his Michael Jackson pennant that Howard pawned earlier, earlier in the film. Uh, remember, it was the one that he said it was the weekend, but it was actually Michael Jackson's. Well, now he wants it back, <laughs> and so he tells him that uh, he saw Julia go into the bathroom with the weekend, and that's when. We get a bet. We get a loud knock at the door, and it's Howard banging on the back on the bathroom door to get him out. And they both they both come out, and they do fight before Howard's thrown out with Julia apologizing. Uh, it's kind of a powerful scene the way she's screaming, "Howard, I'm so sorry," because she knows she's fucked up, even though she didn't really do anything. The fact that she even went in there alone with him was just stepping over. Then again, at the end of the day. She's a side piece anyway, so, I mean, I, I don't know. Uh, on the street, he's insulting her to death before he takes a cab home. I like this brief moment afterwards with Julia wa um, walking away down the street, uh, getting into a, a little minor catch fight with these two girls in passing. Uh, with the uplifting synth score, it's, it's, it's a real moment. It's real. I like it. I like the Julia character a lot in this movie. Um, so yeah, this is one of the better moments of her in this movie, in this film. So Howard goes back to KMH, and he sleeps on his office sofa in the back. The next morning, he's seen on the phone with Tilda Swinton, trying to buy himself more time to get the Opal to the auction. Now, we don't actually see Tilda in this film. She has an uncredited voice appearance, and this is, uh, her role. She plays the, uh... Basically, the uh, head of the auction. Uh, so after the after he's seen on the phone with KG's agent, who's also voiced by Natasha Leone. Again, we never see her. We just know, or I know, it's Natasha Leone. On again, uncredited voice cameo. Um, so he's yelling at KG's agency about the opal when Julia calls him on the other line. She tries to smooth things out, but he's still pretty upset, hanging on to everything from the night before, and he gets back on the film with the agency when KG is seen in the buzz room, which won't open, so he has to go get metal shavings and a hammer to open it manually. That comes into play in the final act, by the way. So when KG finally gets in, he tries giving him a duffel bag with 175 grand, but Howard tells him to take it to the auction on Monday and make a bid. KG just wants Howard to finally say yes to something for once, but he still won't budge. Um, I kind of like, uh, he's got a point. I agree with him on that. Uh, when KG asks for his ring back, Howard freaks and tells him that he left it in Long Island. He pawned it, in case you forgot, and that he'll give it to Damani when he still, when he, but he still needs the opal back, which he finally does right before leaving. Howard berates Damani in the back, and the two get into it about everything in the opal. Damani tells him that he's taking his business elsewhere, and then when he goes to collect his watches, he sees that most are gone and that there's only a few left. 
Howard admits that he loaned them all out and that they're counterfeits anyway. The phone rings during all of this, and it's Howard's doctor who is calling with results about the colonoscopy in the beginning, from the beginning of the film. Howard has him on speaker while Damani's in the room flipping shit. It's a really chaotic sequence here that I love watching unfold. So everything so far has been building towards this explosion, and we're only halfway through the film at this point. The doctor tells Howard he's healthy and everything's all good. Everything came back looking fine. Nothing to worry about. Easy peasy, lemon breezy. Damani pours his red pomegranate drink into Howard's expensive fish tank and then he leaves, leaving Howard and his assistant to scoop out the fish so that they can all change out the water and not die because that water turns pretty red immediately. Um, And yeah, like I said, just... Everything's been building up to this moment, and we're only halfway through the film, folks. So rushing to get the opal back to the auction site in time, Howard encounters Julia on his way, and she's trying to talk to him, but he's in a hurry. He ends up smacking her smoothie out of her hands and all over herself. Um, pretty degrading, but uh, there's no but. It's fucking degrading. So uh, he takes the elevator down, and out of this scene and into the next, which is him in the street later that evening. He sees his former employee, the one that was giving him shit while he was pulling opals out of a fish, uh, and walked out. He uh, sees him working for another pawn shop, and it's just a, it's kind of a self-reflection moment for Howard in this scene. Um, it's very minor. You know, it's, it's a brief scene, not much to take in except for the fact that, yeah, it's it's just to remind us that he's human, and we all need self-reflection sometimes. And this is way, kind of the the Sathys brothers' way of saying Howard needs to do a 180. He needs to turn around, change his life, and I think it starts with this moment. Um, so yeah. So then uh, that night we have the big Passover family dinner scene. This is where we learn that Arno is actually Howard's brother-in-law, making this entire situation even more bizarre since it involves family. So before they had to leave home, Howard has a confrontation with Dina about reconsidering their relationship. Fine. Get going? Yeah, let's go. I, 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 I told him. I told him. What? I'm look gorgeous. Oh God. Wanted to talk to you for a minute and just sit down, and we don't have to do it here. We'll uh, we'll wait. But I uh, I uh, I'm having very serious second thoughts, and uh, we're all together right now. We're all so comfortable. It's I. Is it too late? Should we maybe? What do you think? Am I crazy? Are you serious right now? Yeah, I know. I know I fucked up. I know. Yeah, you fucked up. No you right are to... a fuck up. Yes. And I'm not having this conversation. Listen, please stop. Just stop for one second and just look at me. Look in my eyes. And they'll tell you what I'm feeling. Please. Please. <laughs> what are you thinking? What? Tell me, tell me. I, oh my God. I know. What? Your face is so stupid. Okay. 
I'm gonna leave her. I'll leave her. I don't need her. We're done. We're done. Okay. It's done. Uh, it was stupid. She's okay. trash. She's trash. I I know that. I was stupid. I'm done. I'm done. It means nothing. It meant nothing. Please. I'm begging you. Just just give me another shot. You know what, Howard? Say yes. What? I think you are the most annoying person I have ever met. I hate being with you. I hate looking at you. And if I had my way, I would never see you again. It's because you're mad. You're mad, and it makes sense. You can punch me if you want. Oh, thanks. Hey. So, on the way home, Howard wants to stop at his apartment to see if Julia actually left, but his son needs to use the bathroom. So, Dina just gets on Howard about taking his son up with him. He doesn't want to for obvious reasons, but he ends up saying, fine, let's go. And the two go up, and he can't get him to go into his apartment, so he tries to say his toilet's backed up, and he needs to get a plumber up there. And he blames it on his faulty plumbing, and so he knocks. At first, they knock on his next door neighbor's door, who's played by. Well, his next door neighbor is the famous John Amos from Good Times, Roots, Mary Tyler Moore Show, The District, Die Hard 2, and most famously, Coming to America. Uh, he plays himself, like I said, as the next door neighbor, and he asks if his son can use the bathroom because his pipes are backed up, but he says no and pretty coldly and just shuts the door uh, and then he goes across the hall to another neighbor and he agrees to let him come in so he goes into the apartment and he's hearing madonna's rain playing on blast on the spit on the stereo and he turns it off and looks around and yeah julia left so it's pretty legit uh, on his way out, his son asks about the hot girl living in his apartment that the neighbor was asking about. He says no one and not to listen to the neighbor because he's a cokehead. And now his son has become suspicious. And I would too. I'm surprised no one was suspicious sooner. That's just me. So Howard arrives the next day to the auction. And when he gets there, he learns that his Opal, which was originally listed between 175 grand to a million dollars, was appraised at only 155 grand to 225 grand. Uh, so that pisses Howard off. He makes a big scene about it around everyone, and he even pretends to be talking to the appraiser over the phone. Tries to trip the girls at the, de at the front desk and to get them to pull out the air cards, but the one girl buzzes back up to the appraiser, who confirms that he's full of shit, and in turn that doesn't happen. So panicked, he has Gooey who shows up with his grandson to meet KG after Howard mentioned it uh, in the scene before, the, the, the Passover scene. Um, <clears throat> they were all sharing cigars, and he mentioned that he was uh, seeing KG at this uh, auction. So he's got his grandson to meet KG, and um, he asked KG, he asked Gooey to bid against KG until he, said, until he signals for him to stop. Confident that he can get KG to overbid him and to just kind of rack up the, the, the bids to so he can get more money in turn. Auction time. Arno and Phil show up to just make things even more fucked up for Howard because why the hell not? <laughs> and so the auction goes down uh, and it starts to play out like Howard wants. He's got Gooey and KG bidding back and forth. 
KG kind of dead set on the opal the whole time, not looking around to acknowledge who he's who else is there or who he's bidding against. Um, it it's just him going back and forth with Gooey for a short time until he stops. He hesitates. You think he's gonna do the one last bid and throw up the sign, but he doesn't. He just says, "Nah, I can't." And I think at that point, I, I I don't have it written down, but I think at that point it was around like 195. Or maybe it was around, maybe it was 200 grand. Uh, but Gooey ends up with it. <laughs> and so, yeah, uh, Howard gets it back and he's confronted by Arno and Phil. He pretends to be, he pulls out his phone and pretends to be talking to KG. But Arno snatches the phone out of his hand and, and discovers that no one's on the other end. So at this point, Phil's had enough and he elbow strikes Howard in the throat and the two walk away. Howard chases them both down to try and throw more bullshit stories their way, but Phil turns around and just squared right in the nose, breaks it with a punch, and then Nico throws him into the fountain, but he still has the opal, even though he loses his glasses. He's lost everything now. His hope, his will, his strength, his courage, his stamina, even his glasses, but he's still got the fucking opal. So, um... There's a big shot now at this moment of a bloodied Howard walking down the hall as he's going back to his shop. So he gets to his shop. First thing he notices, Julia's there. Okay, so he goes to the back room with the opal and calls up front to send everybody home because he's not feeling well. So Howard takes out the opal stone and rubs it a little bit, inspects it with some of the... Uh, inspects it some more under the light with his bare eyes when Julia comes in to see how the auction went. She tries saying that her friend left the sweatsuit that she thinks would look good on him, but he starts to break down in front of her, crying, sobbing, breaking down. She begins doing the same thing. The two kind of... The two reconcile at this moment. They're both crying together. She even shows him a tattoo that she got on her ass that says, Howie... She says that he's, he says that he's not even worth it, but she's crazy about him, and the two kiss and make up. And Kevin's assistant suddenly calls at this part and tells him that they're still interested in the Opal, and they're at the bank getting the 175 G's for it. Howard calls Arno, leaves him a message saying that he's got his money, and he's promised him he'd have all his money by Monday. Monday hasn't ended yet. Hasn't tells him to call him back. He's got his money. He's he's got this, and um, he's walking into the pawn shop. Get KG's ring back, baby. KG arrives in the next moment. Gets his ring back right away, and then he asks to talk to Howard in the back, man to man. Come out, you man. What the fuck's going on, man? Ever since I met you, man, you've been giving me the run around with everything, man. What do you mean? I feel like. You're fucking with my emotions. You're just playing with me at some point. This hasn't been straight since I came here. You understand? Why are you saying that? Since I bought the Oprah, it's just one thing. You know, I come back over here, I brought it back. How would I brought it back? I didn't have to bring it back. You understand? Hey, you know, I show up at the auction. You had somebody bid against me all these fucking games. Like, what the fuck are you doing, man? Like, you don't know. You don't think I know this? You don't think I know none of this? It's complicated, KG. You see this face? Do you man, see this? There's $165,000 right here. Cash. I'm showing you because it's it wasn't easy. Six percent goes to Demani. I've already taken that out. All right. All right. I guess. I guess that's fair. Let me get the fucking opal, man. Let me get the fuck up out it's of here. Opal. Yeah. It's opal. Opal's very valuable for you. Absolutely. Okay. I did that. Get the fuck out. Of this. All 
I, I respect you. I respect your passion. Okay, I always have. I thought you was a fan too, man. I'm a fucking huge fan. What'd you pay for this? Real shit. What'd you pay for this right here? That's not a fair question, Kevin. All right? This uh, we're talking months and months of fucking my time. I'm not gonna take the money back when I did the deal. Now I'm just saying, straight up, straight up, me and you, mano mano. How much you pay for this? Fucking, uh, when I pay, I pay the. Uh, that's this is that's. I'm telling you, that's uh, if I answer that question, it's very misleading. Why? It's I paid a hundred grand, okay? So you doubled your money. I'm the joke here, all right? I got fucked. A million dollars is what I was supposed to get. I get a fucking what? Made 65 G's? You gave some niggas from Ethiopia a hundred grand for something you thought was worth a million dollars. You don't see nothing wrong with that, Howard? Ethiopian miners, you know what these fucking guys make? A hundred grand's 50 lifetimes for these fucking guys. A million dollars is more, is my point. You well, understand? If you want to win by one point or fucking 30 points, KG. Right? I see you out there when the fucking stadium's all booing you. You're 30 up, you're still going full tilt. Let's see what Vegas, what has Vegas got you guys at tonight? Take a look, let's see. Are you, are you serious, you gonna pull this up right here? Look at this shit. The Sixers are supposed to win the game tonight, they think. We don't keep track of none of that shit. Who they think on game seven, you're not gonna get fucking 18 points. They don't think you're gonna get eight rebounds? These guys don't know shit about that. What the fuck are they doing? Doesn't that make you wanna fucking kill them? Doesn't that make you wanna say fuck you for doubting me? Doesn't that make you wanna step on fucking Elton Brand's fucking neck? Come on, KG, this is no different than that. This is me, all right? I'm not a fucking athlete. This is my fucking way. This is how I win, all right? All the fucking hard work I do, all the fucking ass kicking and the dues I pay, you're not gonna score on the big one on game seven? Fuck these people, right? That's how you feel, I know you do. So look, let's fucking bet on this. Let's bet on this shit. I'm fucking gonna bet all this money on you tonight, KG. You're here to win, KG. These fuckers don't know. Them out fucking west, you think they fucking know you? They don't know you. They don't know us. It's about fucking winning. It's about you. I saw your fucking conviction, your fucking honesty, and your fucking magic. How are you fucking crazy, man? KG, do you even understand how fucking great of a game you're gonna have tonight? I know it. Listen. We're a team tonight, KG. This is a fucking lie. It's a fucking feeling. We both have it. They don't know. You and I know. So Arno and his guys show up and are waiting for their money, but Howard being Howard and nothing ever being enough, he sneaks the money out via Julia and has a private shopper take her to the Mahegan Sun Casino to place a bet for him. Holy shit, Howard, are you fucking serious? Meanwhile, Howard is pushed around by Phil and Nico because he hasn't learned his lesson. And while Arno starts showing signs of humanity, he's thrown out of a window and hung out there in order to call Julia back with the money, which he refuses. He instead locks Arno, Phil, and Nico in the buzz room when they go to leave because they know they're not gonna head because they know where she's heading. He calls his wife and tells her to get the kids and get out of the house. That he'll explain later, but just do it. He puts the game on, makes everyone watch it along with him while they're sweating in the room. Meanwhile, at the Mohegan Sun Casino, Julia is approached by another rich gambler who is crazy for. Actually, he wrote in the chop. He wrote on the chopper with her. Uh, when she sees one of Arno's guys looking for her, she agrees to watch the game with him in his suite. 
And then uh, to go do that after she places the bet, the game ends. And Howard has finally struck big, winning over $3 million on this bet. Julia has the rich gambler, I call him the creep in my notes, sneak the cash the cash winnings out to her. Meanwhile, Howard celebrates around the pawn shop, calls Julia. The two tell him, the two tell each other they love him. They have their moment, which we will soon learn is their final moment. Because as soon as Howard lets them all out, Phil suddenly shoots Howard dead in the face, killing him. This panics Arno, who tries to leave but ends up being murdered by Phil as well, getting shot in the head. The movie ends with Phil and Nico looting the shop as police sirens are heard getting louder and louder after Dina called the cops and the final shot being a close-up on Howard's dead smiling face closing in on the gunshot wound as the screen blacks out after cloud red turns in the crystals that mirrors the opening credit shot from the first scene to the last. And that, my friends, is Uncut Gems. Alright, so Uncut Gems had its world premiere at the Telluride Film Festival on August 30th, 2019 before being released to the masses on December 13th, 2019 from A24 Films. Let's take a look at box office receipts. In the operational funds box, we will deposit 250,000 American dollars. You take it out. We put more in. I want receipts. Alright, so Uncut Gems, opening weekend box office, $537,242 domestically, going on to gross $50 million worldwide against a $19 million budget. So the reason why that opening weekend was so small is because it's pretty simple. Like I mentioned earlier, the film was released to like four or five theaters for the first two weeks opened that way on the 13th um it opened limited on the 13th in new york and la and then it wasn't until christmas day that it was released across the country um even though i incorrectly said released to the masses but you know what i meant so yeah that was the uh box office take on the film the movie is the highest grossed film of the a24 library a company that's been around for the last, I don't know, six, seven years. They've been in business, and they're kind of like the indie darlings of the film industry. They are uh, a lot of art house indie projects are usually released uh, via A24 Films, and this film is no different. All right, so let's get to the category I always call, you're going to go for it, kid. You ain't going to believe this. Well, you used to fit right here. I'd hold you up and say to your mother, this kid's gonna be the best kid in the world. This kid's gonna be somebody better than anybody ever knew. And you grew up good and wonderful. It was great just watching every day. It was like a privilege. All right, so for this category, I have two. Miss Julia Fox and Mr. Heath William Richards. Julia Fox deserves all the praise she can get for her performance as Julia. Her ultra-thick New York accent and the way she holds herself throughout the entire picture really makes her character feel so real. She really is a New Yorker with she really is a New Yorker, but her accent isn't nowhere near as thick as it is in the movie. 
She lived in Italy for the first six years of her life before her family moved to Manhattan when she was six. She handles such a strong performance so well for her first time, and I just think that says something and should at least be acknowledged here. As for Keith William Richards, they literally just found him and thought he had the presence for their character of Phil, for their Phil character. And for this being his first ever acting role, I'd say he played the I'd say he played the character very strongly and believably. He was just awesome. He was literally discovered while walking towards the L train at First Avenue and 14th Street one day. He looked the part, and that's apparently all it took for the guy to get the gig. Not a bad way to break into the business. So let's meet the cast. Hey, you guys. Everybody focus up, okay? All eyes here. I would like to announce that Ben and I are planning to produce a musical number from Godspell for the talent show tonight. <clears throat> I'm sorry. Ben is producing. I'm directing slash choreographing. I'm only speaking from personal experience, but if you can't carry a tune, don't come into the audition environment and waste our time. For serious, okay? Okay, and bring a lot of movement clothes, a.k.a. jazz shoes, dance belts, lycras, et al. And seriously, FYI, you guys, this is not an excuse to get out of your regular activities. This is an excuse to do some good musical theater. So be prepared, be enthusiastic, and leave your bullshit attitude and baggage at the door, because we don't need it. All right, so Adam Sandler stars as Howard Ratner. Now, of course, we all know who Adam Sandler is. We're well aware of his filmography and all the films he's been putting out yearly almost for the last 25 years. He has his ups. He has his hits. He has his misses. I mean, what more can we say about the guy other than the obvious? He is... One of, if not the most financially successful comedic star of all time. And while that feat might be challenged by up-and-coming comedians from years to come, I still think that that says something for his relevance. That says something about him and his success and the way he does things. Um, let's... Let's think about this. 25 years, and that's plus. I should say 25 plus years, actually. And today, here we are, 2021, and he's still one of the most talked about, relevant stars in Hollywood. So, the man hasn't gone anywhere, and I don't see him going anywhere anytime soon. Uh, next up, we have Lakeith Stanfield, who plays Damani. Now, Lakeith Stanfield, in case you don't know who that is... He is, dare I say, up-and-coming star. I mean, he first broke into the industry with Short Term 12, a short film back in 2013. But then I'd say it was really that left-right of uh, The Purge, Anarchy, and Selma back in 2014. And then from there, it was all uphill. Straight out of Compton, uh, Snowden, Get Out, War Machine, Death Note, Story to Bother You, Girl in the Spider's Web, Knives Out, and then this, you know? And it didn't stop there. The Photograph. And then Judas and the Black Messiah. Coming soon on Film Attack. And so, yeah. Um, Lakeith Stanfield has been on my radar for a long time now. Um, I, I am a... Even if the film ends up being trash or I'm not a fan of the movie... I can at least separate his performance and 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 you know like take Death Note for example Adam Wingard 
one of my favorite, you know, indie darlings, as I as I call it, indie directors from. He's the director from Your Next, and you know, Horrible Way to Die, and then he went on to do The Guest, and then he did Kong. He's doing Godzilla vs Kong, and I'll have more to say about that when that film attack episode drops next month. But anyway, I'm getting off topic here. The fact is. <clears throat> Death Note, say what you will about the movie. That movie seems to be generally hated. I'm not aware, I'm not familiar with the original work material. And um, so judging the film on its own, it was okay. It was fine. I mean, Willem Dafoe, I thought they could do more um, with what they had, but... And I understand the the whole real. Anyway, I'm getting off topic. Anyway, but what I was getting at, my point, my point is that Lakeith Stanfield's in that movie. Um, uh, he plays L, and he's obsessed with candy. And anyway, that's getting off topic. Also, that for what that movie was, I really loved his role in that movie and the way he did it, like the way he portrayed the L character. Now. Again, I'm not comparing this to anything. I have nothing to judge it against because I'm not aware of the material. But I just feel the Keith is able to take a pile of shit and at least do something with it. He's that good of an actor. And Julia Fox, who I talked about, Kevin Garnett did a good job playing himself. It was really not much of acting as it was just being him. Um... And it was kind of like hanging out with the boys on set. Only you have a camera pointing in your direction. That's kind of how he described the feeling, the vibe, making this movie. And it shows. It translates It translates very well on screen. Uh, Adina Menzel, uh, who plays Dina Ratner, his wife. Uh, she, she takes her handful of scenes and makes moments with them. She does something with it. She ain't just a singer. She ain't just that let it go. She's a lot more... She deserves a lot more credit than she gets. Um, I think... I, I wish she was in bigger roles earlier in her career because I've always noticed her and I've always thought that she has been an incredible actress who didn't get her fair shake in the business. Um, until a little-known film called Frozen came out, and then things just changed from there. But, uh, yeah, she, you know, like I said, she's able to basically uh, create a mountain out of a molehill, and she's got this presence in this film. Uh, She just doesn't let Howard walk all over her the way everyone else does in this movie. It's kind of like she's his kryptonite, and I like that about her. She's kind of like the one thing Howard Ratner fears. <laughs> and so, yeah. And then we got Eric Bogosian, who plays his brother-in-law, Arno. Eric Bogosian, of course, if you don't know who he is, um, why would you? He really hasn't been relevant lately. He kind of came up in the mid to late 80s, minor roles here and there, talk radio, sex, drugs, and rock and roll. He, um, Dolores Claiborne, and then out of nowhere, he was the head villain in Under Siege 2, which, I mean, I prefer the second film to the first. I do like Under Siege 2 a great bit. It's actually my, 
my favorite Steven Seagal movie. But Eric Bogosian playing playing the lead villain, like I don't know. I just feel like where do we go? We we somehow went from great actors playing Seagal villains from Lance Hendrickson to William Forsyth to I don't know. It was just a weird casting. And then he popped up in little things from here and there. Beavis and Bud Do America did some voice work on that. He was in Deconstructing Harry, Gossip, Igby Goes Down. He was in Charlie's Angels Full Throttle, apparently. Wonderland, Blade Trinity, Cadillac Records. And then kind of like didn't do much. And then came up in Rebel in the Rye. And then he's here in Uncut Gems. And fun fact. Hasn't done anything since Uncut Gems. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, oh, and he's also... I take that back. Edit that part out. And he's also in my favorite... My current favorite show on television, Succession. Uh, side note, if you've never seen Succession, the HBO show, uh, get on it. They're currently filming the third season. I implore you to go watch the first two seasons to gear up for the third season, which will probably come out this summer. Awesome show about a family. Uh, it's basically a big, big family, a rich family. Uh, check it out. Brian Cox, Nicholas Braun, Karen Culkin, uh, who else is on there? Alan Rock, Sarah Snook, Jeremy Strong. Check it out. HBO, like I said, Succession. First two seasons now. Third season comes out later this year. Um, who else? Judd, and then I can wrap this up by talking about Judd Hirsch, who, did Taxi, Dear John, Numbers, Independence Day, Independence Day Resurgence, A Beautiful Mind. Am I ringing a bell? You know who he is? He's won two Emmys, two Tony Awards. He's won a Golden Globe Award, been nominated for an Academy Award. Judd Hirsch. He was Jeff Goldblum's father on Independence Day. That's Judd Hirsch. Um, you know, he's in this for a few scenes, and those three scenes that I that I remember him from did a good job. It's, it's, it's come on, it's Judd Hirsch, guys. It's fucking Judd Hirsch. Uh, let's talk about the crew. Well, my friend, this is crew. But don't even think about it. You don't look like you could hang, Jermaine. The name's Jamal, and I'll fuck your crew up. What? Uncut Gems was directed by Josh and Benny Safdie, produced by Scott Rudin, Eli Bush, and Sebastian Bear McClard. And Sebastian Bear McClard, written for the screen by Ronald Bronstein, Josh and Benny Safdie, music by Daniel Lopatin, cinematography by Darius Kunji, edited by Ronald Bronstein and Benny Safdie. Now, Safdie Brothers... They only have two films under their belt. This and Good Time. If you've never seen Good Time, it is an excellent Robert Pattinson film from about four or five years ago. It's on Netflix. Go check it out. It's a very, very fast and um, in-your-face heist film done to the Sathy Brothers style. It's kind of like Uncut Gems, but from a different perspective. Like Uncut Gems, you got Howard Ratner here, who is essentially stealing from Peter to pay Paul. Whereas Good Time, they're stealing from Peter to keep for themselves. 
and yeah, it's it's a really different movie um, in a sense that uh, Robert Pattinson is kind of going against typecast in this film. Uh, his partner in the movie is played by Benny Safdie, um, who is one of the brothers here who did both the movies. And this is, to my knowledge, his only acting role, unless he's done a couple short films. Um, I, I just know him from Good Time and Uncut Gems. Um, but yeah, he it's... it's um, who else is in Good Time? I'm trying to think. Uh, Jennifer Jason Lee is in it, I remember. Um, and it's kind of like the same thing, um, the same crew as this. Uh, like I said, it's got Robert Pattinson as a bank robber who attempts to free his... his uh, that's right, Benny Sathy's mentally challenged in the movie. And he ends up in police custody after they uh, botch a, um, a, a, a heist, essentially. So it's a good movie. It's like I said, different. Like Uncut Gems is, it it's a movie that does its own thing, and it's 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 on Netflix. Go watch it. Seriously. <clears throat> All right, guys. Well, I got a special guest here with me for this part of the episode. You might know her from our other podcast together, the Mad Dad Movie Review. Look who stopped by to say hello. It's Madeline, everybody. <laughs> Say hi, Mads. Welcome to the full, Welcome to the Film Effect Podcast. Welcome to the Full Effect Podcast. Welcome to the Film Effect Podcast. Hello. <laughs> All right, kid. How you been doing? I have been good. Yeah, very good. So we're talking uncut gems this week, and well, I'm talking uncut <laughs> gems this week, and uh, I remember when we did our uh, top ten best of 2010s. This film made that list. So I know it's uh, a movie you really like. Um, and I just kind of wanted to rack your head a little bit and get you to, you know, just say a few things about the movie. What is it about Uncut Gems that attracts to you so much? Because you're 13 years old. You don't know a thing about gambling. You don't watch sports. Like, what is it about this film that just... Why it it, it it must mean something to me. Your top ten. I think it's what got me to make it to the top ten list was Adam Sandler mainly in the role he plays because it's more of a serious role, which you don't you never see it. This is like his only serious film. Or no, he's had a couple. I mean, Punch yeah. Drunk Love, Spanglish, um, Rain Over Me, or uh, but when I've actually like heard of at least it it was up there because. He, he was serious. I've also never seen him with a beard before, so that was weird. He was serious. The hype behind this movie was serious. Mm-hmm. Like, it, yeah, I mean, I, I mentioned the other films that he did that were on the dramatic side, but those films didn't have nearly half the hype that this film had. Like, the la- like quarter four of 2019, this film was everywhere. And it started, like I mentioned earlier, um that the hype started around TIFF, which was in September of 2019. It had its uh, screening at the Toronto International Film Festival, and it just blew up from there. Word of mouth traveled so far, and yeah. I, I, uh, yeah, I remember the first time ever hearing about it. I remember we were in a car 
we went to a parking lot. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> I remember it's so good. There's like a preschool behind us. I remember that. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, you, you were watching the trailer and I just watched it and that's how I found out about it. And then like 2020 is when I actually watched it. Yeah, I, 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 I'm glad you mentioned the trailer because I love the trailer for this film so much. Um, Admittedly, I'll still go back and rewatch it from time to time. It's a really well-crafted trailer. It it doesn't spoil anything. It, it keeps the mystique um, intact surrounding the film and the plot. It doesn't really tell you too much about what it's about. It's the perfect kind of hype that I wish more and more trailers would do. Because now, you know, there's that whole argument that trailers these days spoil the movie. They and really do, because they'll make so many, too. Oh yeah, like this had scenes. one. This yeah. movie had one trailer, and it was a great trailer, and that was it. They didn't release anything else up until the film came out. Mm-hmm. And I also wait. Sorry. No, no, you're fine. <laughs> Go on. Go on. Um, I also like the character he plays, like the backstory, how he has he's he has a family, but then he also has a girlfriend from work. Oh I yeah. Just, yeah, it's he he very, he he lives a very um dangerous double life <laughs> he also has a he has a good apartment <laughs> that that apartment that's a, it's an expensive apartment too. yeah yeah it is um yeah and it's not it's not your typical funny man sandler movie although mm-hmm. there are some funny moments it's not that kind of movie in general um and i know you're a fan of his comedic side oh yeah and that's why I was surprised at how much you liked this because this is not that movie at all. And yeah, I mean, I'm not mm-hmm. complaining. It's I, I, I'm I'm happy you were you're a, a mm-hmm. big fan of it. And yeah, you were saying. I think it's because like I've seen so much of like his comedy side, his comedic side, and all that. I feel like for once to see like a change, I thought that was. It, yeah. It was it was different and I like I like different. I don't like seeing the same thing over and over again cuz after over and over again it can get old after a while cuz we'll make like the same jokes. Yeah, you're not like a, you're not a fan of that repetitive nature. I get it. Mm-hmm, cuz half of his movies also have the same characters in it like on the comedic side. Same like, actors, same, same characters. <laughs> same thing like And this has no one. Like oh, no one from his bunch. I didn't know bunch. any of yeah. them besides Adam. <laughs> So yeah, it, it was definitely really different. So. Yeah, this it's it's such a good movie. Um, like I've been saying for the duration of this podcast, <laughs> um, I just wanted to get you in here and 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 get your take. Um, thanks for joining me on this. Um, let's do an episode together. Let's uh, let's mark this now while we're all recording. <laughs> let's uh, let's make this happen. I'll get you in. Um. We'll make it work. I'll pick out a movie, or you can pick out a movie or something, and uh, we'll do it. I mean, the format here is obviously different than Mad Dad's format. Yeah. <laughs> and, and so it, it, we can even do a film we, that we did on that podcast, mm-hmm. just different, you know. We can do Clueless. We can do Clueless. <laughs> instead, of doing, instead of just remaking on the Mad Dad movie, we could just do it on here. Yeah, we can do Clueless on this uh, podcast. That'll, that makes sense. <laughs> That'd be fun. I'd like to do that. We'll uh, we'll uh, check it out. We'll uh, get with our schedules and see if we can make something work. <laughs> make something happen. Do I get headphones? <laughs> I need headphones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, 
thanks again, kiddo. Um, you got anything you want to promote while you're on here while I got you? How's your uh, YouTube thing going? Good. I just uploaded my second video about a week ago, I'm pretty sure. And I'm in the middle of filming a new video. So Tell all the people where they can find you. Yeah. <laughs> On YouTube, you can find me on um, Mad Snyder. That's M A D Z S N Y D E R. And technically, everything else is the same. I have a Twitch. That's it's that's the same thing. And then TikTok and Instagram. Instagram has a dot in between the Z and the S. But there you have it, guys. She's on <laughs> several platforms. So uh, <laughs> check it out. And uh, yeah. Thanks again, kiddo, and we'll we'll do this again for a feature-length uh, cool podcast. and <laughs> not a just clip or scene. <laughs> cool, cool, cool. All right, thanks, kiddo. Love you. Love you too. Biggest takeaways, Mr. Madison, what you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. At no point in your rambling, incoherent response were you even close to anything that could be considered a rational thought. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. I award you no points, and may God have mercy on your soul. All right, so I got a few after watching this again. Sandler really is a scumbag degenerate in this movie. Um, and I kind of want to save more, I don't want to elaborate on that because this kind of ties into my is it safe part so yeah more on that in a moment uh speaking of sandler it really is he really is more than a one-trick comedic pony like i just every time i watch this movie i'm blown away by his ability to pull off the his just dramatic side of things and it's funny because he doesn't do many dramatic roles but I can't say all of them are winners because Spanglish is kind of... I mean, I haven't seen Spanglish in a good 15 years or so, but I don't remember it being a heavy hitter. And Rain Over Me really hasn't aged the best. Um, it hasn't aged as well as I, was, as I would have wanted it to because having rewatched it, it's not the movie I remember, remember praising the way I did uh, for years. But anyway... Um, the punch, uh, punch drunk love in this film. Damn, holy shit! I mean, anytime, anytime I watch Punch Drunk Love, I'm automatically put in a good mood. Like that movie always makes me happy. And the good part of that, you know, it is Sandler and his just heartwarming character, but it's also the music in that movie and everything and the just feel good elements about it. Just I love that movie so fucking much. Definitely gonna be covering that one day. Um, so yeah, it, it this movie just I'm always blown away by him and his portrayal as Ratner. It just so fucking good. I cannot fucking elaborate. I, I I can't. It's just it's hard to even say any more about it. I can't put it in the words. It's so fucking good. And finally, for this being over a two-hour movie, the editing and pacing is really superb it never feels boring and all the right scenes were left in meaning like when they went to edit and 
you know, when they edit movies, you leave scenes on the cutting room floor, as they call it. And there's really not a whole lot to be trimmed in this movie. They kept a lot of stuff in, and a lot of stuff worked. And it's just, I don't, the pacing, the editing and pacing, I cannot praise enough in this movie because I can get through it. It's two hours and six minutes, and it just doesn't feel that ever. Anytime I watch this movie, I feel like I'm watching a 90-minute movie. It just, and I know what to expect. And, and it's just, it's always just a breeze, a fun breeze. You know, I love watching it. All right, so my mulligan moment. If you had to do it all over again, would you make the same choices? It's simple. Add another five minutes to the movie. I feel that's what the Sathies should have done anyway. The ending feels too wrapped up after Howard dies and the two ransack the place. Like I wish we got to see Julia's reaction and or Phil getting his comeuppance for everything that he did throughout the movie. Like I just... I just wish that they would have made it two hours and 11 minutes. Just give me five more minutes to see more. Not that we deserve more. Not that I deserve it or anyone for that matter. But I would have liked to have seen Julia's reaction to Howard's death. Especially after we've seen the two so happy before he sends her off with the money to put the bet down. Like It's just something that an opportunity I feel we were kind of we kind of had taken from us that I wish we had back um and yeah like I said that motherfucker Phil I wish we would have seen him getting his because even though Howard deserves most of the shit that happens to him there's something about the Phil character and that that speaks levels to Keith William Richards by the way and like I mentioned like I was talking about earlier in the podcast about how this is his first time rolling everything like yeah, he wants the audience to hate him. He does a fucking great job at it because I loathe this guy by the end of the movie. Um, is it safe? Is it safe? Yes, it's safe. It's very safe. It's so safe you wouldn't believe it. Is it safe? No, it's not safe. Very dangerous. Be careful. It's this simple. Gambling addiction. And being real here, I personally, you know, if I ever gamble, it's very light. And it's not a whole lot. I really, I might go to the casino twice a year, if that. And just... All I want to say is if you know you have a problem, it's not worth it. It's not worth your family losing out. It's not worth your potential. If you have kids, you know, anyone, it's not fair for anyone to have to see you go through just the struggle because any sort of addiction is a struggle. And I already went kind of one step ahead and I did a little help for you. So anyone listening to this episode, if you think you might have a problem or you know you have a problem with gambling addiction, the hotline to get help. Guys, please utilize this. I'm not doing this to waste my time or yours. 1-800-522-4700. Again, that's one 800 
522-4700. Go get that help and come back a better person. I love you. We love you. And yes, just it's it's a real thing. And we see it throughout this whole movie. It is the burden that is put on poor Howard. It is what gets him killed in the end. Because even though we saw the man win big, it just wasn't enough. And he just he had to go bigger. And that ended up being fatal. So yeah, guys, seriously, I love you too much as an audience. If anyone, there's no too big, new, too small audience of mine. There's no such thing as that. So please go get the help. Again, that's 1-800-522-4700. That is the national hotline number for national gambling help. And the last word. All right, let me break it down to you right quick. Andre say he catch any type of ball anybody can throw. Coffee say that's bullshit. You a buster. Andre say roll up, bitch. Coffee say I'll give you all my gun if you catch this ball. He threw the ball. Andre caught it. Andre say pay me my money. Coffee say you do a cheating bitch. No way. Coffee say you a motherfucker. Okay, I got it. All right, so final my thought my final thoughts on this lovely motion picture. It's simple. It's amazing to me that this was able to be pulled off. I mean, if if you don't know the story about how this movie came to be, just it's real. It's it's simple. The Safties back in '09, they first approached Sandler to star in it. His manager rejected the film's script before Sandler even got to see it. Fast forward seven years later, May 2016, it was announced that the Safties would direct the film from a screenplay they wrote alongside Ronald Bronstein. The film's executive producers were Emma. Tillinger, Kaskoff, and Martin Scorsese, Marty himself. And in May 2017, Jonah Hill joined the cast with Scott Rudin, Eli Bush, and Sebastian Bear McClard joining the cast as joining everything as joining as producers in A24 Distributing. 2018, April, more specifically, Adam Sandler is back. He is announced as the star, replacing Hill. In August 2019, everyone else joined. In August 2018, everyone else jumped on board, and the film was shot in September 2018 through November 2018 on the lovely 35 millimeter film. Like I said, so my final thoughts are like this. It goes like this. I want to make it short and sweet. This film is a winner. It's a winner in every aspect. Um, the music, the tone, the pacing, the acting, the little things here and there, just they all come together collectively and they create this magical motion picture. Just like I said, every time I watch this movie, I'm just blown away more and more by just A, the fact that this was able to, to happen, and B, the fact that just keeps going on and on and on no matter how many times I see this movie it doesn't get tiresome or old or boring like there's always something about this movie that keeps me engaged and there's that is why I keep coming back to this movie as much as I do and hence the heavy praise I've been giving it throughout this entire podcast episode 
So that being said, this film is sponsored by KMH Jewelers, where you too can experience glass-shattering deals such as Lucky Black Opals or Dangling Diamond Studded Furbies, and it's also a place where you too can get locked inside the buzz room for hours while Adam Sandler runs around like a madman. That's KMH Jewelers, open Monday through Saturday from 10 to 6. Every kiss begins with K. Alright, so that'll wrap things up and put a bow on Uncut Gems. I just... uh, Next week, we will be back with a special three-parter episode in the one... I I don't know how to word this. I don't know how to announce this, but next week, I'm not talking about one. Next week, I'm talking about not one, not two, but three movies. All in one episode. Three movies that make a trilogy... Rather, the Before Trilogy from Mr. Richard Linklater. If you're familiar with these films, it is three films that came out starting in 1995, and every nine years a new one was released. It is about two characters played by Ethan Hawke and Julie Delpy, who it's basically three chapters of of of, of a couple's lives together. Each film is a different entry, a different. Um, it's it's a unique little flick, something different. Um, very dialogue driven films. So if that's not your bag, then maybe skip out in this episode. I won't hold it against you. It's it's okay. It's not these films. I understand are not everyone's cup of tea, but they are movies that. Well, they are three movies that I hold near and dear to my heart. And therefore, I would like to talk about them and hopefully engage with some other people and see what their thoughts are. Be on the lookout for that next week. And all that being said, this film definitely gets the film effect seal of approval. And that'll bring things home for this show. One down, many more to follow. And again, if you want to check us out, previous episodes were on iTunes, Spotify, Google, iHeartMovies, Pocket Cast, you name it, it's there. And again, if you want to guest host, or if you have any questions, comments, or concerns, you can email me at thefilmeffectpodcast at gmail.com. Guys, thank you again for tuning in to a new episode. And um, if you're still listening by this point, everyone stay safe, mask up, be smart, take care of one another. And yeah, check you later.